Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here uh, to uh, worship with us and to be here uh, with us, uh, whether you are here and you're local or whether you're on vacation, no doubt from Ohio. There it is. I got the Ohio slam in. Sorry. I love you guys that are from Ohio, but there's a lot of cars from Ohio these days. So um, around here, license plate. But I'm glad that you're here and uh, that you're here to worship with us. And we are in the middle of a series um, that we have entitled uh, Life in the Miners uh, for uh, this summer series that we're in. And we're walking through four of the 12 different minor prophets. And as we've approached this series, I had this mindset and we kind of had this thought that in the minor leagues there are certain uh, players um, that may come from obscure uh, areas. Uh, they, they may come from, you know, maybe smaller towns and they, they may not be well known but they can have a huge impact um, on a team. And uh, as they grow in the farm system and they end up in their major league team, um, they can have a huge impact. Uh, and some of you who are baseball fans, here we are in the middle of summer, and uh, you understand that they have a huge impact. And so we have kind of coined this uh, particular series, Life in the Miners, as we take a look at four of the 12 minor, uh, minor prophets, I almost said minor leaguers there, uh, minor prophets uh, in the Bible. And so just to get started today, I'm just going to have you, um, as we did in week one, and just as a reminder um, that we're kind of making this analogy with baseball, um, just all at once here, at, at, on the count of three, I want you to say out loud, you know, with gusto, if you're a baseball fan, the name of your favorite major league baseball team okay so here we go one two three atlanta braves i had the microphone to braves win okay all right love uh love taking a look at these minor prophets it's probably one of the most understudied um less read portions of scripture but the implication of these prophets are, are really far reaching in terms of the whole god man story and so today we're going to look at one um, that is probably very obscure, a man by the name of Zephaniah. And as we've walked through this series, we've kind of taken a historical look too. I don't know if you've realized it, but we've gone in a historical chronological order. We started about a thousand years or about 900 years before the time of Christ, and we moved into the 700s, and today we'll be in the 600s BC before the time of Christ, taking a look at Zephaniah. And Zephaniah is an incredible story. I, I, I don't know about you, I love stories. Um, I, I love narratives, and, and I love great stories and movies and books uh, that are fiction. And there's one thing that every great novel or every great fictional story has um, in common. I mean, there's a lot of commonalities, but one is, is that there is a uh, potential calamity or a calamity that begins the story. If you see a great movie or if you read a great book, um, it always begins with this kind of tension of a potential calamity or maybe even a real calamity that has happened. And so everything that happens in that story is based on that calamity or potential calamity. And you have uh, the story there from that point kind of goes in different directions. You uh, might have uh, different things like uh, sorrow or fight or flight. Um, or you might have death, um, you might have victory. And so great stories begin with a calamity. And if we read this book of Zephaniah, which is only a few chapters, three chapters in length, um, it begins 
with a calamity, but that is not unusual for these minor prophets. I mean, already we've seen Jonah, his great calamity, a lot of you know the story of Jonah, his great calamity that he was swallowed by a giant fish. And we learn through the story of his life that delayed obedience is really disobedience. I mean, that's the fact. Delayed obedience is really disobedience, unless, of course, obedience is acted upon right now. And so we learned that from the calamity of Jonah's life. Last week, we took a look at the prophet Micah, and we walked through the book of Micah. And we learned that to understand, like to truly understand God's love and the depth of his love, we really must understand God's anger towards sin. Not the sinner, but his anger towards sin. And we don't like to think about God's anger, but because he is so angry at sin... It's amazing the depths of his love because he provided a payment for that sin. And he provided a way out for us. And today we're going to take a look at a story, Zephaniah's, uh, Zephaniah's writing about and to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Now, um, in this series, each week we've begun with a historical context, and we have to begin there. Let, let, me, let me tell you, as you read the Minor Prophets, if you read the Minor Prophets, I promise you this, um, it won't make any sense in, unless you have some kind of understanding of what was going on at the time. And let me just give you a brief overview of the history of the Jewish people during the period of time that these Minor Prophets, and particularly Zephaniah, wrote. Uh, it was an interesting time because Israel, about a thousand years before the time of Jesus, um, actually before then, a couple centuries before then, they were crying out to God, and they were begging God to give them what they saw in the nations around them, and that was a king. They desperately wanted to be ruled by a king. And so God answered them, he answered their request, he answered their prayer, and he gave them a king. And we see in the history of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, that there were three kings at the beginning, King Saul, and then came along King David. We, a lot of you know the story of King David, a shepherd boy who killed Goliath and then became the king of Israel. And he had a son named Solomon, and so you have the first three kings of Israel under a relatively unified Israel, but then... Along came Rehoboam, which is Solomon's son. And all of a sudden, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel decided, we don't like this line, this Davidic, what's called the Davidic line, the David line, the David monarchy, which was David and Solomon and Rehoboam. And so they decided that they would leave. And so they left and they moved up out of Jerusalem into the north and established a whole new kingdom called the Northern Kingdom. And they coined their country or their nation, I guess, or if you will, um, the nation of Israel. And so the remaining two tribes stayed in the southern part of Israel, and they became Judah, or their southern kingdom. And so God used, during this period of time, in the history of Israel, which was a tumultuous time in their history, God used these men, prophets, to bring his word and his instruction to his people. Because during this time, there was an ebb and a flow of these people of God being obedient to God and then being rebellious against God and his commands. And they would recommit themselves to God, and then they would once again fall away from that recommitment. It was this ebb and flow, this up and down. And during this period of time, God used these minor prophets 
to speak his word to his people. I think it's interesting, and I just want to take a moment and, and kind of draw this out, that we can actually learn a little bit from just the, the course of history. We can learn a little bit about the God-man relationship just from the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, go, go with me for a moment on this. This is very interesting. Um, they decided that they wanted a king, and God answered their prayers. Even though God knew best, uh, he answered their prayers. He answered their desire, and he gave them what they wanted. God does that with us, doesn't he? He gives us sometimes what we want or what we pray for. But if we're not in alignment with him, we're not going to understand his best for our lives, are we? And so the nation of Israel, we can learn something from their history. And we can learn something just from that situation. But we can also learn something from this. Please don't miss this because this relates to the whole message. And it really relates to the whole series. God allowed the nation of Israel, he allowed the Jewish people to make decisions on whether or not they were going to be obedient to his commands. He allowed them to make the choice and to make the decision what they were going to do with God's commandments. And so there were periods of time when they obeyed those commandments, and there were periods of time where they didn't. But God was always faithful. And even in the calamity of the story you're going to see today, even in the calamity of the, the potential calamity that you're going to see today from Zephaniah, God remains faithful. And I want you to hear this. He does that with you and me. Because we can, we can stray far from him. We can go very far from God. We can be rebellious. And he, you can be certain of this, will remain faithful to us. But he allows us to make our own choices. He allows us to decide for ourselves whether or not we want to follow him. And so just like this kingdom of Judah that we're going to take a look at today, the southern kingdom, and just like the whole nation of Israel, the whole Jewish people, they made their own decisions on whether or not they would follow God, we do as well today. There's one huge difference. And that is, is that we today, after Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, we are under new rules, a new covenant, if you will, of the God-man relationship. Because Jesus took all of those rules that were a part of the commandments of God and he completed them, he fulfilled them by going to the cross. And so what you're going to be taking a look at today, I want you to understand and view in the context of the fact that the paradigm between us and God changed. But, but please don't miss this. If you're a Christ follower here today, don't miss this. Because we can sometimes, people laugh when I say this because it's an old phrase, but we can sometimes throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we take all of those good things that we can learn about the God-man story from the Old Testament. And sometimes, because we rely on Jesus, which we should for our salvation, we take all of those old things and decide that we're not going to learn something about God and man from them. My purpose today is for us to learn something about the God-man relationship, even under this new covenant, these new rules. And so, my caution for you today is whether or not you're here today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a Christ follower, or whether you haven't decided 
to follow Jesus Christ, please don't make a judgment on this message. I, I don't mean me. You can make a judgment on me all the time. Believe me, I get plenty of emails on that. But what I'm saying is don't make a judgment on the story until the end, okay? Don't make a judgment on the story until we get through the whole thing. Because part of this, you're not going to like. And part of it, I'm not going to like. But just like a good novel and just like a good movie and a good story has a potential calamity or a calamity that's happened, Zephaniah talks about it. But the difference is, is this is real. This isn't a novel. This isn't a story. It's not even a parable that he told. This is a real, true account of what God might do to this nation called Judah. Let's dive in today. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Zephaniah. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. If you don't have your Bibles, the words are going to be on the screen today. And let's dive in and take a look at our notes this morning as we dive in and look at the story that Zephaniah had, the word, the message that Zephaniah had for the people of God in this nation called Judah. First of all, I've divided it into three sections. There are three chapters. I divided it into three sections that loosely kind of go along with those three chapters. The first one is the warning. Take a look at point number one in your notes, the warning. God desires that we put him first in our lives, and he is angered to the point of punishment when we are unfaithful to him. It's a strong statement, isn't it? It may sound contradictory to other messages that you've heard here or elsewhere. I want to read it again. God's desire is that we put him first in our lives, and he is angered to the point of punishment when we are unfaithful to him. It may sound inconsistent. It may sound different than the message that you've heard today. But I want you to understand this today. In this context, we have to understand in this true story that Zephaniah brought, this word from God that he brought, I think today in 2014, there is something for us to learn. Just like in Micah, there was something for us to learn about the anger of God. I think there is something for us to learn about the punishment of God. And I believe that there is a real life application. And I believe there's an application in terms of the whole God-man story. Let's dive in and take a look at Zephaniah. We're going to read the first seven verses of chapter one of Zephaniah. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi. And then he goes into a lot of names that I'm not going to embarrass myself and try to pronounce here, except the last one, which is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was one of the kings. A lot of theologians and experts believe that this particular prophet, Zephaniah, was actually from a royal bloodline. That he was from a royal bloodline. And so that means nothing to us today but it would have given him credence. It would have given him authority to speak because it was from one of the kings. He came from one of the kings. In the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, the coming judgment on Judah, verse 2. Here's God's word to the nation of Judah, okay? During this time, about 650 years before the time of Christ. He says this, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Nice start there. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That was their, their capital. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal. That was a false god. And the name of the 
idolatrous priest along with the priest. Those who bow down in the roofs to the host of heaven, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear to Milcom, another false god. Verse 6. Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. And then he says this. The day of the Lord is near. Verse 7. Be silent. Be silent before the Lord. For the day of the Lord is near. What a great comforting message that Zephaniah begins with. The earth is going to be destroyed just like Micah, isn't it? It's just like we saw last week. It's uh, you know kind of like the movie 2012 or the day, what is it called? The uh, day after tomorrow or World War Z for the, some of you. I didn't see it, okay, but the, I understand the concept of it. Okay, I, like utter disaster is going to be on the face of the earth. And just like last week, we had to understand that God is angry towards sin to understand his love. Today, we have to understand that God's intent is to punish sin, to understand his salvation. God's intent was always to punish sin, and we have to understand that. We have to understand that if we want to understand salvation. This particular passage also brings out, it kind of brings to surface a character of God that a lot of us aren't comfortable with. And we're going to talk about that in depth in a minute. And it's the fact that God is a jealous God. He wants, listen, listen, listen. He wants you and he wants me to put him in first place in our lives. That is a characteristic of God that has not changed from the beginning of time. It hasn't changed one iota. And in fact, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses to bring to the Jewish people, when they were traveling during those 40 years of wandering, trying to understand where God was taking them, into their promised land. They were wandering from God. And, and Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. And I want you to see from Genesis, uh, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 20, um, how it began. B because this is what God was referring to when, when, he, when Zephaniah brought the word that my people have fallen away, that they've fallen into idolatry and serving other gods. Take a look at Exodus Remember, this was Moses writing about the account of him receiving the Ten Commandments and bringing them down from the mountain to the nation of Israel. Verse 1 of Exodus 20, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, read it again. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your God and I am a jealous, there it is right there, I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. You see, this was God telling the Jewish people, his people, the chosen people, 
that their number one job, the very first commandment, the very first thing that he insisted on was that he would take first place in their life and in the whole life of this nation, this group of people. And before we kind of go in our minds and our hearts to the fact that, yeah, that was then, but this is now. That, that, Todd, you just explained that there was an old kind of rules, kind of paradigm covenant between God and man before Jesus. And there's a new one now. Before you go there, Jesus repeats almost exactly the same thing in Matthew 6, 33. Take a look at what he says. He says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So this is not just an Old Testament, old just for the Jewish people rule that God has for his people. It applies to those of us, you and I, who call ourselves Christ followers and who have given our hearts to him, who have given our lives to him, who have asked him to be our savior and I realize that today it may not be gold images. By the way, while Moses was receiving this command from God, while he was up on the mountain in Sinai, you know what the Jewish people were doing? Exactly the opposite of this command, weren't they? If you go on to read towards the end of Exodus, you'll find out that at the very moment that God was saying, don't serve any other gods and don't make a graven image, a false image, a false god, the Jewish people were tired of waiting for Moses. And what did they do? They put together a golden calf and began worshiping the golden calf. Now, you and I don't have false gods today. We don't have things that maybe we like construct that we actually worship. We may not. I don't know. Maybe perhaps you do. But we certainly have, please don't miss this, we certainly have things in our life that take place of God, don't we? We certainly have things that we love and that we value and that we're more passionate about than God. And when we do that, Christ follower, we, we disappoint him because he's a jealous God and he wants first place in your life and in my life. And as much as we don't like to attribute that characteristic to God, we want God to be jealous for our affection. We want God to be jealous for our affection. It is his jealousy that caused him to redeem mankind and to allow him and cause God to allow us to not have the punishment of sin upon us. It is because God was jealous that he gave his son for us. He loves us that deeply. And so just like we looked at God's anger last week drives him towards love, we can learn this week that God's jealousy, God's desire to have a relationship with humankind, mankind, humanity, and God's desire to have a relationship with each one of you is because he's jealous. He wants your affection. He wants your attention. And so my question under point number one is what types of things are getting in the way of God being first in my life? What things are getting in place of God being first in my life? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a healthy relationship. Maybe it's money. 
Maybe it's the love of money or maybe it's the pursuit of materialism and materialistic things. Maybe it's a, a sport or athletics. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. And let me tell you, I struggle with this just as much as you do. I struggle with allowing the stuff of my life to invade my priority that I should put on keeping God first in my life. And we can learn that from Zephaniah, this man who wrote this warning and it is a warning. But the second chapter, the second part, the second point in your notes today, we begin to see some hope. And in fact, it's hope, number two. The only hope to avoid the punishment of God for our sins is a genuine recommitment to God. The only hope to avoid the punishment of God for our sins is a genuine recommitment to God. Now, I use the word recommitment here because the message today lends itself to those of you who are Christ followers and a return to God. But if you're here today, you can just replace that word recommitment to first-time commitment if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you've never had a relationship with God, you can turn to him and accept this salvation. Accept the fact that he loves you so much that he wants you to have first place in his life. Let's look at the hope that Zephaniah talks about. Verse two, or uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. He says this, Gather together. By the way, this is one of the most beautiful pieces of literature in all of scripture i believe and so i want to encourage you to go back and read the whole thing it won't take you more than about 10 minutes to read the whole thing from beginning to end the whole book gather together yes gather oh shameless nation before the decree takes effect before this punishment that he explained in chapter one goes into effect he says gather together before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, seek the Lord, there it is right there, all you humble in the land who do his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. This is like me as a dad looking at Sidney and Sean. And those of you who are parents understand this. And go, please, listen to the words that I'm saying because you can avoid the negative consequences of your decisions that you're about ready to make if you'll just listen to dad. Please listen to dad. And if you're a parent, you understand that, don't you? You understand that concept. And those of you who have had children stray away from you and away from God, it hurts, it's painful. See, it's painful when we stray from God. It's painful when you and I stray far from him. He wants us to come back to him. And so Zephaniah's message was one to disrupt this nation of Judah from a complacency that they had towards God. They were complacent towards God. And the message of Zephaniah, the message that he brought on behalf of God to God's people, was one to awaken them and to spur them on to get out of the complacency. I really didn't understand this word complacency until I began studying this because Zephaniah's message is one of, of getting them out of complacency and getting you and I out of our complacency in terms of our spiritual lives. And I, I thought complacency was ambivalence. And if you understand the word, I thought complacency was just kind of a ho-hum about spiritual things, you know, 
spiritually complacent people, like just have no interest in spiritual things. That's not true at all. The word complacency means self-reliant, essentially. (laughs) You see, this nation was essentially turning its back on God and saying, we know best for us. We can live like we want because we don't believe God. They became self-reliant, not God-reliant. And when you and I make a decision, when we make decisions in our lives to turn from God's best, to turn from God's rules of living, we turn our back on God, even if it's a small thing, or maybe it's a huge thing, maybe it's a lifestyle thing, we turn our back on God and we turn to self-reliance. That's what the word complacent means. I didn't understand that. That's what Zephaniah was trying to do with this nation. That's what God was desiring this nation of Judah to do, and that's what he desires you to do in your life. And so if you're a Christ follower in here, and maybe, maybe there's been moments where you've just felt like, man, I know I've turned my back on God in this area of my life. Maybe I haven't told, turned my whole life on God, but in this one area, I'm really, I'm really just really digging into self-reliance. The longer you do that, the longer you stay there, the more times that you stay there, the more times that you don't turn around and become reliant on God, the more times that you stay self-reliant, complacent spiritually, the harder it's going to be to turn back to God. In the New Testament, we call it repentance. That's what repent means. It's a strong word. We don't like that word, do we? Like if I got up here today and said, you need to repent from your sins, I'd have everybody leave, go to an early lunch. We don't like that word, but it literally, it's just, it's really not that hard to understand, and it's not that too complicated. It just means a turnaround, a 180. That's what repentance means. And that's what Zephaniah is explaining to the nation of Judah. And so if you're here today, and maybe for a long time, you know that you've got an area of your life that you need to turn around and turn back towards God on, Zephaniah gives you the way to do it. He gives you the game plan. Take a look at it right here. I'm going to hit it real quick. What steps can I take to turn my life around? Number one, pursue God. He says it in verse three. Make a turn towards God with my whole life. He says, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And if that's overly simplistic for you, I'm sorry. It's what Zephaniah said. Take it up with him. In fact, take it up with God because God was the one giving the message, right? It's not overly simplistic to at the beginning of your turnaround in that area of your life to simply begin to seek God. It sounds overly simple. It sounds like, no duh, Todd, come on. But the turnaround begins with us seeking God. The second thing is it says seek righteousness. He says seek righteousness. If we are going to truly turn around, if we are truly going to turn around in this area of our life or, or maybe some areas of your life or a lifestyle maybe that you have that you know, you know, you became a Christian a long time ago, but you've just allowed this thing to take root and you just can't get out. The second thing that you need to do is to begin to pursue righteousness. Every counselor that's worth their weight at all will tell someone that's struggling with an addiction or, or maybe some, some kind of habit, they'll say you have to replace that habit with something else that's good 
and positive. Zephaniah understood that. He understood that. God understands that, that we can't just pursue God alone, but we also have to begin to turn around in terms of these things and pursue righteousness. And that righteousness really means pure and holy. And so the pursuit of things that are like God, that are worthy of him. And then the last one is pursue humility. You know, this whole idea of complacency has everything to do with spiritual arrogance. And and listen, I realize that for some of you here today, it may not be a big area of your life. It may not be a glaring error or area of your life now. But it could easily become one later. And when we rely on ourselves... When we say, yeah, I know God says that, I know his word says that, and I know that I've been called by his Holy Spirit to not do that or to do something else, but I'm going to do it anyway. When we do that, it's the epitome of spiritual arrogance, isn't it? It just is. We're self-reliant. God wants us to be humble. Pursue God. Pursue those things of God. And be humble. And let me tell you something today. Christ follow, if you're here today and you're struggling with this and you have an area of your life that you want to turn around and you're having a hard time doing it, to pursue God and to pursue righteousness and to pursue humility cannot happen unless you have a regular daily walk with him. If you're not regularly spending time with him in prayer, and in his word. There are two things that can help us make the turnaround. It's God's word and the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives, telling us what we're doing right and where we're going wrong. If we don't make it a regular time with him, we're never going to have the hope of turning around. Cynthia and I, a few years ago, we were in downtown Atlanta and um, she, we were going to a certain place. I've told this story before, um, but we were going to like across town and down south to her parents' house. And I decided it was date night. Um, we had babysitters who were her parents, and we were having a nice, we had a nice dinner. And um, I wanted to kind of explore, because we do that, guys, don't we? We like to explore. And so I was like, listen, I'm just going to just drive through Atlanta, and we'll just figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to look at a map. I'm not going to get my phone out. You know, um, not even the old-fashioned maps that you roll out. If you're under the age of 20, there used to be these things that you rolled out. And anyway, so long story. So anyway, so wait, I didn't do that. And an hour and a half later, we were still lost. And if I had just stopped at one point in time and just turned around and went back to where we got lost... I would have saved us an hour and a half of drive time, and we might have had a much better date night that night. It's the same thing for us spiritually. If we will just stop and turn now, don't delay. Turn towards God now. We can save a lot of consequence of the sin and the failures and the mess that we make of our lives. And listen, for those of you who are here today and you're seasoned believers, And you're sitting there in your seat right now and you're going, man, I really am not struggling with this. Awesome. I believe you. I really do. Like this is an area of my life that I really have down, that I feel comfortable with. My challenge to you is to help someone 
else. In a few weeks, we're going to unpack a new kind of revised area of our church called Grow. And I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you're a seasoned Christ follower and you feel like you've got some handles on this, help someone else out. Be a part of this training that we're having. We're calling it Grow Up. That's fun, isn't it? July 26th um, and August 23rd. Choose one. Let us know about that. There's a sign-up sheet at guest services. We'll follow up with you in the next week or so. And, and we want to have your help. Don't just sit idly by and let it go. Get, get in a position where you can help some people who may be struggling with this. And finally, point number three, there will come a day when God will save those who are faithful to him. There will come a day when God will save those who are faithful to him. Zephaniah 3, 14 to 20. I love it. Single out, O daughter of Zion. Shout, Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away. Listen to that. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, he is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Down to verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will extol over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival. I love this. So that you will no longer suffer reproach. Isn't that great? You see, there's coming a day in contrast to the day of judgment where those of you have said yes to Jesus, that's what faithful means. Those of you who have accepted him as your savior, all of the stuff that you've done in your life that has disappointed him, he'll wipe it away if you've accepted him as your savior. Even if you've drifted far from him, you cannot lose that salvation. I'm not saying that at all. You cannot lose that salvation. I'm not at all saying that you can lose it. I'm saying that if we turn towards him, we will please him and that he will offer salvation regardless. Verse 19, behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. Awesome. Isn't that great? And I will uh, save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into into praise and renown in all the earth. I will bring you in. At a time I will gather you together, for I will make your renown and praised among the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, there is a day coming for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus. Oh, it's going to be great. You will be saved from the punishment and the wrath of God if you put your faith in him. And I ask the last question on purpose. Does your heart belong to the one who offers salvation? Does my heart belong to the one who offers salvation? Here's why I asked that question just a moment longer. The reason I asked that question is that if you read the history of Judah, they repented. They heard Zephaniah's message and repented. And for once in their history, they had Josiah who became king at eight years old, by the way. Isn't that awesome? Those of you who are young, God can use you. That's a whole other message. But he was a righteous, he was a good king, he was a godly king. Things in Judah looked great. The problem was is that a lot of the people, please don't miss this, a lot of the people only changed their behavior. They didn't allow God to change their heart. And so the change was temporary and it was surface. And so if you're in here today and all you're doing is fiddling around with your behavior, 
God wants your heart. The behavior will follow. Are you with me this morning? He wants your heart. And so does your heart belong to the one who offers salvation? The bottom line is this. When we recognize spiritual complacency in our lives, we should turn from it immediately and run back towards a place of reliance on God. And my guess is is that those of you who are Christ followers, you know the area that you need to turn back towards him. When I was in uh, seventh grade, I uh, wrote a paper in a social studies class, and I I loved government, I loved social studies, loved history, geography. But I wasn't there on the day that the teacher gave out the assignment. (laughs) I mean, it's swaggered. And I remember turning in my paper, and I got a C, which, to be honest, wasn't too abnormal for me. But I was upset by this, because this is my favorite class, right? And I said, Ms. Swaggart, why did I get a C on this? And she said, well, you, you didn't complete your paper because there was one whole page of instructions that you needed to read that you didn't even address. And so you only really got you know, credit for a portion of the paper. And I said, yeah, but I wasn't there on the day that you explained that. And she says this, and I'll never forget this. She'll say, she said, ignorance is no excuse. <laughs> you see, I know those areas in my life as a Christ follower that, that God's convicted me of and that I feel like I need to turn away and turn towards him. And the problem with us as humans is that we often go through life and we just ignore it. We don't investigate it. We don't try. And so my challenge to you today is if you're a Christ follower, turn back towards God. Live a life that's pleasing to him. And if you're not a Christ follower, my challenge to you, my encouragement, my invitation to you is accept him as your savior. Because you'll experience that day of the Lord. That's not punishment, but that's salvation because you put your faith in him. Will you pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much for your word. God, and thank you for your Holy Spirit that is leading and guiding and maybe even convicting right now. And God, you're calling some people who are in this room, maybe for the first time in their lives, to say yes to you. But God, you may also be calling some Christ followers who are here today who have strayed from you. And God, they know it. They they know it just like I knew that I missed a part of that test. I turned it in knowing that it was incomplete. God, I pray that you would draw us to a place where we know that area of our lives that we need to turn around, to do a 180 in. God, give us the courage the conviction and the ability to take the right steps to turn to literally change direction in this area not on our own strength God but on your strength God I pray for those who are in here they're Christ followers but boy there's a hang up and a habit maybe even an addiction that they're struggling with God, all the counseling in the world hasn't done a thing. But God, you are strong and you are powerful enough that you can change that in their life. And I pray today, whether it's something small or whether it's something deep and far-reaching, you would do a mighty work today. If you're in here today and you say, Todd, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, but I, I need to turn in my life. I have an area that I need to turn towards God on with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm just going to ask you to respond to that today by raising your hand. I'm not going to point you out or call you up. Just raise it for a moment. Keep it up for a moment. If you're in here today and you're like, man, Todd, there's something God is revealing even right now in the midst of this that I've got to give to him.
an area I've struggled with, maybe not for long, maybe it's been years. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. God, I pray for those who are here today and their hands are raised as not an admission to me, but God, an admission to you that they need your help. God, I pray that they would turn to you. God, that they wouldn't turn to common self-help, but they would turn to you. God, that they would restore and recommit that area of their life to you. So you can put your hands down. If you're in here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and something's happened, you heard something today, and you want to say yes to him, you want to experience that day of salvation, you want to avoid the punishment of the sin, um, I, want to, I want to invite you just right now, just in the quietness of this room, to say yes to Jesus. And I'll pray a prayer out loud, and you can pray it in your heart. It's a prayer that goes like this. Um, God, thank you for making me and loving me enough that you're jealous for me. And today, I just want to tell you, God, I know I've got a lot of faults and sin and hang-ups. And today, I want to give my life to you. Today, I am making the decision to accept you, Jesus, as my personal Savior. If you're in here today with every head bowed and every eye closed and you prayed that prayer along with me, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I promise I won't embarrass you again. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else today? Just put your hand up. Awesome. For those of you who put your hand up, I just want to encourage you to respond to that connection card that we have at the bottom of your notes. Father God, thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, thank you for what you're doing in this church. And God, we thank you so much for the message that we heard today that even in spite of our sin, you loved us enough that you give us salvation. Help us to put you first in our lives. 